welcome back to the Takeoff Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Salvatore Stefanelli, and on the line with me is my uh, friendly co-host, uh, Denny Carter. Denny, how are you doing tonight? Sal, I'm doing well. I'm happy to talk to you. Always, always, I'm always happy to talk to you, but I'm always, I'm happy to talk about something that's not football related. Yeah, and. Um... For people that listen to our first podcast, they will know that this is a podcast about uh, bad movies, and uh, our tagline here is, bad movies, worst takes. And it it, it took off. People enjoyed the first episode. I was legitimately shocked at how many people not only knew of The Wraith, but had actually seen that movie. I know, man. And uh, people, there, there are wraith truthers out there. Like they were, and it, yeah, it's amazing. They were talking to us about the movie. I didn't. I expected like just you and me to be the only ones <laughs> to be into that film. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so if you missed it, uh, back in August, I believe we did uh, the Wraith, which is a 1986 movie starring Charlie Sheen. Yeah, Charlie Sheen is a car. Like, yeah, back to Earth. <laughs> Right, yeah, obviously, <laughs> and and uh, for this second episode of Takeoff, uh, Sal, do you wanna do you wanna bring in the movie, introduce the movie? Yeah, sure. We're doing the uh, 1985. Some people call it a classic. I'm not sure if I fall in line with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Jim Carrey vehicle called Once Bitten. That's right, and just for background. I I have seen I had seen this movie ten or twelve years ago, uh, just you know flipping through channels one night I found it. Uh, I recommended I said we should do this as as an episode. Sal watched it. Um, I'll let I'll let Sal talk about what he thought of it. But then I rewatched it uh, recently, very recently, yes. and realized that in short, uh, this movie is deeply. And horrifyingly problematic on every level. Oh yeah, we'll definitely get get to um, some some really really bad scenes during the course of this podcast. But like as Danny said, I watched this movie for the first time. I think it was either Friday or Saturday. I had never heard of this film before, and then I went to uh, look it up immediately after Danny recommended it. Read the synopsis, looked at the poster. I'm like, I'm in. This movie looks like it could be a lot of fun. And for anybody who has not seen or heard of this movie, um, a quick uh, premise is that it's about a, was it 400-year-old vampire mm-hmm. who, if she doesn't drink the blood of a male virgin three times, mm-hmm. basically all of her looks are going to go away, so she'll just become an old lady. And she settles on um, Jim Carrey, who, uh, while doing some research, I read that this was his, basically his film debut. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the poster, you can kind of see like the, the goofy face that uh, Jim Carrey would eventually become known for. So that was a, kind of a reason I was excited to watch this movie. Uh, and it turns out that in 1980s Los Angeles, it's really uh, difficult to find a virgin. So there's, the, <laughs> I guess that's all they needed for a premise for this film. And one, of, I'm assuming it was one of the previous male versions that she had um, drank in the blood of over the course of the years. Had said that it was a lot easier to find virgins in 1864. 
That's right. So I think that's the, the type of humor that we kind of uh, expected throughout the, the course of this film. Yeah. And uh, so my my working theory, and I, and I wanted to save this for, for the podcast that we did not talk about this before, before the podcast, is that uh, Jim Carrey in this movie has so, so many similarities uh, to a later role that he played that I kept coming back to the question, is Once Bitten secretly a prequel to Dumb and Dumber? Sal, what do you think? Oh, I never even uh, thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, here are the similarities. Uh, he drives around in a ridiculous truck. An ice cream truck in this film. An ice cream truck. He's hunched over, kind of like he is in that dog mobile. I mean, I, I know that that's not his in Dumb and Dumber, but still. So, um, there's that. There's the fact that in both movies, he's he's basically just playing Jim Carrey. <laughs> And um, there was um, – oh, and he's a total flop, you know, with the ladies. And so I just thought over and over uh, that the dumb, the dumb and dumber people definitely watched One Spitten and were like, we can, we can tweak this and make it a multi-billion dollar, uh, you know, mega film. Yeah, and there's also in Dumb and Dumber the, you know, the famous scene where he finds out there's one in a million chance that he has – the opportunity to get together with the mm-hmm. female lead and mm-hmm. in what's bitten you can probably say there is a one in a million chance that they would find a male virgin in 1980s los angeles that's the, i think we're on to something i think this could be a prequel to dumb and dumber that's that's my take i i love that take this is um i'm gonna go off the beaten path here for a second but i was in new york and i went to go see how to kill a mockingbird on broadway mm-hmm. which currently stars Jeff Daniels and it took me a good two days after I saw the play to remember the scene in Dumb and Dumber when they sing the <laughs> Mockingbird song <laughs> and then all of a sudden I just figured figured that Jeff Daniels only took the part for that right. for right. that synergy right Mockingbird yeah sing. Oh man, that's that's ridiculous. the most ridiculous scene and my fiance um, looked at me like I was the world's biggest idiot I I couldn't I don't think I could take Jeff Daniels that seriously. <laughs> um, well, when you're sitting like five feet away from him in How to Kill a Mockingbird, it's pretty easy to take him seriously. Oh yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it is. Wait wait wait, Jeff Daniels was the was the anchor on the HBO show, right? Yeah, the uh, um the newsroom. Right, where he played like a super serious yeah. news anchor. Right, right, yeah. I like that joke for a while, but not as much. Uh, and since uh, we're, we're on Dumb and Dumber, I just want to throw this, uh, this mm-hmm. stat that I found. I was reading this article on The Ringer. It's called Comedy in the 90s Part 2, The Year Jim Carrey Arrived. It's written by Alan Siegel. And 1994, people don't remember, that was the year that Jim Carrey was in Ace Venture, Pet Detective, The Mask, Dumb and Dumber. And those three movies combined for... Over seven hundred and six million dollars in worldwide box office receipts. Unreal. And yeah, I definitely it, did not think that that would happen to Jim Carrey if I had seen Once Bitten back in the eighties. There was a there was a point in Once Bitten uh, where the director or or whoever clearly just told Jim Carrey, "Be yourself." Like, 
like just be Jim Carrey because he was doing like you said the goofy faces, the sound effects, um, like the like the ridiculous like um, slapstick thing, you know that that he was famous for back then, uh, and and you can see everything that you everything in this movie that he does, you can see it in later movies, you know, in Ace Ventura, in you know the Mask and whatever else, Dumb and Dumber. Uh, but but just but just it's honestly it's glimpses there's little glimpses of future Jim Carrey uh, in this one uh, I I I would have enjoyed it a lot more if it wasn't uh, you know like I said so horrifyingly problematic maybe we can get into that so uh, I'll throw this out at you apparently Jim Carrey wasn't the first choice to star in Once Bitten what I'll, I'll give you first off I I want you to guess. Who you think the producers, directors, writers, whoever thought should be the first choice, uh-huh. and then who you would have picked as the uh, the lead of Once Bitten? So, so we're, we're talking—is talking, it like a funny guy? Um, he did eighty sitcoms. Michael J. Fox. That is that that is the answer. Oh, <laughs> I'm not sure All how right. you knew that. I and, didn't know that. But yeah, it was Michael J. Fox. Well, that, that's, a, that's a good guess by me. <laughs> and the reason I bring that up, because you're just talking about Jim Carrey and how you said, like, they basically told him to just do whatever uh-huh. he wants to do. And the, um, I think it's the, one of the writers, this film had four four people credited as writers, first oh, off. Wow. A story by credit and then three screenwriters. Apparently one of the screenwriters wasn't convinced that Jim Carrey should have been cast until they actually started filming. Because if you remember the scene when they're going into that bar in L.A. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> they basically just told Jim Carrey to walk across the street and look scared. And they, they're recalling the story of how he made that look funny. And at that <laughs> moment, <laughs> at that moment, they knew that Jim Carrey was the right choice. I mean, he's he like naturally, yeah. I think he naturally kind of just looks uh, funny. He was doing that thing with his eyebrows at one point. Like I think everybody knows, like that weird, like up and down thing that he does with his eyebrows, where you're like, oh yeah, that's definitely Jim Carrey. I think he obviously has a not. Uh, he had as a, as a young guy like a lot of uh, natural, just comedic ability. Yeah, like even for someone who followed Jim Carrey's career from the beginning, for me that's. Basically, when he was in Living Colors, when I first heard of him, and you just remember like all of the like his facial tics, the way he would move his mouth when he talks. Like mm-hmm. I think it's kind of it'd be hard to kind of compare anyone to Jim Carrey. I don't think that there is a, a uh, like a straight like a one for one comparison, honestly. So I think it was uh, like whoever ended up being the decision maker to cast Jim Carrey in this film uh, knew what they were doing. Definitely. Can I, can I say something about Michael J. Fox real quick? Yeah. So I read that Michael J. Fox's character on Family Ties, whose uh, name I can't remember now, but he was written to be like uh, the antagonist. Like the, 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 the people writing it thought – we're going to write this guy to be a super right wing, you know, douchebag, and the audience is going to hate him. <laughs> and of course, the American audience, who are all right wing douchebags, they loved 
this character, just like they loved Archie Bunker, even though Archie Bunker was written as a hateful a guy who was supposed to be despised by everybody watching that show. And so it's it's like uh, it's like a, a proud tradition. Uh, Michael J. Fox <laughs> carried on a proud tradition of people who were supposed to be hateful but ended up being beloved uh, with the way they they were uh, written. It's um, it's quite quite the, the telling thing for you know American pop culture. It makes it all the funnier that he was Canadian. Well, not was he is Canadian. <laughs> he's, not, <laughs> right. he's not dead. He's still alive. He's he's he our is. beloved Michael J. Fox. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, I think it might be time to talk a little bit of what we saw in Once Bitten. And I wanted to start off at the beginning of this movie because I honestly had I had no idea what was going on in this film based on the first scene. Because it didn't really match up to the description of what I thought this film <laughs> was going to end up becoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first, I thought this was a sequel to Romancing the Stone. We had a guy... <laughs> Dressed up as a pirate, walking around a, an empty mansion, carrying a rose everywhere he went. Uh, it turns out that this guy is Sebastian, who I'll say is like the personal assistant of the, the vampire lady who is, they call her the Countess. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, he looked like a pirate. He looked like he'd just come back from a fencing tournament. There was this kind of like, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but almost like upbeat sensual mm-hmm. music playing in the background would would you yeah. say that's correct yeah he was uh yeah it looked like he was getting ready to have uh, a lady friend over at his house and um he he was really fixated on this piece of erotic art that was on the wall and like I honestly thought for a second, Denny, that you recommended I was to watch some softcore porn because that <laughs> that is what this opening scene felt like to me. Every movement of Sebastian's was just so sensual I know. that, like, even the way he opened the drapes, like, felt like the way someone in a softcore porn would either open or close the drapes once they were ready to get it on. I, like I said, I had no idea what was going on. I'm so sorry that you thought that. <laughs> Thought that I recommended. <laughs> uh, I um, I had. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Seth. Oh, I was going to say. So yeah, that's basically how the movie begins. Eventually, we he opens up a coffin that reveals the countess, and then then we actually get into the true once bitten <laughs> universe. Which which is why, why don't we why don't we run down the, the 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 plot? Or I guess we've already talked a little bit about the plot. So. Yeah, this this uh, countess needs to drink virgin male blood three times before Halloween, mid- midnight on Halloween, right? Yeah. Or or she ages, which of course for a woman is the is the the most horrifying thing possible is for a woman to age, and uh, uh, you know, spoiler alert, um, she doesn't get it done, and um, <clears throat> so. The, the the whole plot revolves around them trying to find the last male virgin in Los Angeles. So I can I just I want to say one thing about this in particular moment when we find out what the movie is about. So they have they always go in this movie saying that it's so hard to find a male virgin in mm-hmm. the 1980s. Like if she doesn't drink this male virgin's blood three times, she's going to lose all her looks. This film was released in 1985. She's apparently 400 years old, 
which I'm going to guess she's had to do this 399 times before. So how was it like this difficult every other year in the 80s? Or was it just like the mid-80s specifically where she was having a hard time? Because don't you think by this point in time, they'd have like a system in place, they'd they'd run the numbers, they have an analytics team behind them knowing exactly (laughs) where to go and who to target? Like the 400 <laughs> years of practice, I think that it wouldn't be this difficult. Yes. Oh my God. You, you're right. They should have an analytics team because, because by like the mid seventies, they could have been like, you know, the kids are having sex at unbelievable rates at this, at this point, we have to adjust, right? You know, this, this isn't the age of innocence. In fact, there's a quote by Sebastian, who is the, um, the, the assistant to the countess, he says, this is the 1980s, not the age of innocence. <laughs> okay? Um, uh, so, so yeah, you're right, though. When did this – I mean, when they think back to, like, 1982, where they're like, ah, 82 was so easy. You know, 83 was a little more difficult. 84 was even more difficult. 85 was impossible. I mean, when did when did the shift happen? Yeah, that that's what I want to know. Did all of a sudden the number of you know, male virgins in 1980s Los Angeles just uh, dip? And then, like, does it have to be someone specifically in Los Angeles? Can't they go anywhere else in the world? Right. Yes, that's what I was wondering, too. Like, um, you know... I don't know if, if, you know, more rural areas would have been more successful analytically if you're looking for for the male version. I don't know. But, but yeah, you would think that they would they would make some adjustments. Um, uh, some other revealing quotes from the beginning of the movie, um, Jim Carrey's girlfriend in this movie, uh, who has refused him many times, right? Um, in a in a comically eighties way, right? Where it's like he actually says at one point, like I'm just fulfilling a role. I'm supposed to be trying trying to you know get in your pants, and you're trying to tell me no. Like, and that that's that's the role we're supposed to fill. So that's all I'm doing here. And she says, "You make it sound like the 1950s." And Jim Carrey says, "Maybe I'm just an old fashioned guy." And this was this this set off the alarms for me, Sal, um, because you know in the eighties, especially you know early and mid eighties, you have this thing, this cultural thing, where there's this obsession with the fifties, with getting back to the fifties, and subsequently, uh, kind of erasing or forgetting the 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 upheaval of the sixties and seventies. Uh, and you see this perfectly, perfectly in this movie where there's all this the huge amount of moralizing, right? In in everything that 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 goes on, especially in the in the first like like thirty or forty minutes of the movie, about um, about like how how terrible culture has gotten, and how everybody wants to get back to the fifties, and this is this is like reflected in so many lines in the movie. Um, it uh, like I said, it it, it was like. It tipped me off, like throughout throughout the the whole film. No, I'd um, I never thought of that watching the film, but you've kind of just right now this moment helped me come to a realization of a really important question I had watching this film. <clears throat> like as we said, um, the Countess has to drink the blood of a mill virgin. You said Jim Carrey's been trying to get with his girlfriend for a while. Eventually, the Countess and Jim Carrey like. 
they get together. She gets the first um, blood transfusion. Jim Carrey doesn't remember anything. And he's trying to explain it to his girlfriend. And she doesn't dump him. I just... And eventually, like... She even gets back together with him. Which I... For the whole time, I was trying to figure out, like, why would she want to get back together with this person who she thought basically cheated on him because she wouldn't have sex with him. And then you bring up, like, life back in the 1950s. You know, a lot of... You know, divorce wasn't really a thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of... No husbands and wives would stay together just to stay together, even if something mm-hmm. really bad happened in the relationship. So you bring up that point kind of now makes more sense to me as to why she stayed with them, even though it still makes absolutely no sense at all why she would stay with them. Right, right. No, and that's a, that's a great point. I think that the girlfriend, Jim Carrey's girlfriend in this, is the embodiment of the 50s. Um, she actually calls herself at one point, she calls herself uh, pure and good, you know, and this is because she hasn't, she hasn't had sex with her boyfriend. Um, and, 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 you know, it's not just a fling. I mean, apparently these two, uh, teenagers have been together for years mm-hmm. and like, at this and, point. And we saw it pretty much like within the first 10 minutes of the film, there was that scene where at their drive-in movie theater and almost like every single other car beside them, the couple was having sex. That's right. That's right. Um, there, there's also one more kind of revealing quote, and this is near the end of the movie. It, 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 you know, as far as the '60s, '70s, um, I'm sorry, the '50s through the '80s go, there are two sort of like uh, side character girl vampires, um, and they, one of them said, has the line, "I haven't had this much fun since Hate Ashbury." And I was like, ding, 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 ding. Here we go. There it is. That's the 60s reference. The, the, the 60s, the, the time of moral rot, right? I mean, that, that, that's what, that's what you know, popular culture in the 80s would have you believe is, is that the, the 60s and 70s were bad. They were uh, a deviation from you know, the norms of the 50s. And the 80s were about you know, getting back. Let's get back to, to, to those norms that, that were around 30 years ago. Um, and and you just you see it in everything in every um, you know in every music video in every movie in a lot of popular songs you know it's it's uh, Billy Joel for God's sake was making 50, 50s music in the eighties you know uh, even Queen was at one point making songs that sound like they were from the fifties so uh, this movie fits perfectly in line with that with that trend. All of a sudden, this movie now seems a lot deeper <laughs> than it looks on the surface. Well, I mean, it's just you know, there, there's there's even a character. Do you remember the the scene in the bar where where Jim Carrey and his two apparently apparently virgin friends are hanging out? Yep. And there's there's an older man who whose wife is hanging out in this bar, and the the old man comes up, and he's ranting and raving about perverts and pornographers. And adulteresses and 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 pimps, you know. And I mean, he sounds. It sounds like this movie was made, you know, um, by uh, Richard Nixon's advisors. You know, I mean, by um, you know uh, the 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 religious right. You know, I mean, and w- which is which is not really out of the norm for. And this is not horror. This is comedy, but um, it has an element of horror. And as you know, a lot of horror movies in the eighties were based on the 
movie monster killing uh, people, the people who were having premarital sex, who were doing drugs, who were, you know, drinking before eight, before they were of age. So, <laughs> again, it falls right in line with that. Since we're on the, the topic of the bar scene, I, I want to go over the the actual bar itself. So for the people that didn't see this movie, they go to this bar. It's called the Phone-A-Date Club, where I, I'm guessing the idea of this particular drinking establishment is that you sit at a table. It has a phone. The phone is in the shape of a pair of lips. Each table has a number. So if you're sitting at the table with your guy friends and you see a, a, an attractive uh, lady across the the room, you see what their table number is, you pick up the phone, you dial that number, and it automatically goes through that table. Um, so my question is, I never heard of such a thing in my life before. This was very brand new to me. <laughs> so I, I was wondering, was this a thing back in like 1980s America or did the was this just created for this film? I was going to ask you the same thing, Sal, and and then I realized I'm older than you, <laughs> so I should know maybe, but no, I have no, I have no idea. But it's it's an insane concept. But it it feels like it would be a real thing. Like, how do you just make this up? Oh yeah, no, I I don't doubt that that it was somewhere, you know, but but yeah, it's yeah. So they they have uh, everybody has a. a a phone and they're just waiting on a call the whole time they're sitting there drinking they're drinking you know everybody's drinking beer wine whatever and they're just waiting and it's yeah it's a bizarre thing i mean like i'm not sure how much courage you would have to have to call up a random stranger across the bar from you like it took me like like seven years just to work up the courage to text a girl in my life. I can't even imagine <laughs> what it would be like in that particular situation. And these guys are, I don't know if they're even old enough to get into the bar. Cause I'm pretty sure they're high school students in this film. So they're, that, they're was also, that was also in the back of my head, but they seemed really excited to be there. Well, expect, well, not Jim Carrey's character, but his two buddies. Like they even answer the phone with studs are us. Studs are us. Oh my! It just honestly, I mean, just go go home at that point. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was hard. That was hard to watch. By the way, it, you know, apparently it's 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 so hard to find a male version in L.A. in the '80s. But Jim Carrey is hanging out with two other two, du- two dudes who have never had sex. So so it's three. There are three male versions just walking around. Obviously, this vampire, this this countess, is way off. They need to. They need to run the numbers again. Right? Yeah. Her analytics are a disaster. You know, I don't. I don't. I don't understand. Um, she says, uh, "Virgin blood isn't easy to come by these days." Uh, being being a vampire in the twentieth century is a nightmare. Is what the countess says. <laughs> it, it used to be cool. Yeah, virginity was popular in eighteen sixty four. Like that was that was a line from this movie. Yeah, right. Um, right. Obviously, in the 1800s, no one, no one was having sex. Obviously, yeah, there's definitely a, a lot of questions to this film that we probably will never get the answers to. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it was it was almost it was like a low key, like um, like like sexual panic uh, movie. You know, like uh, like oh dear God, all the teenagers are having sex. What are we gonna do? Like that—that's—that's—that's that's, that's kind of what it what it felt like, 
but which is ridiculous because I I bet you, and I have not looked up the stats, but here's what I'm betting that that there was very little difference in the number of teenagers having sex in the 80s than there were in the 70s. I think that yeah, if you, if if they like I said, if they had an analytics team, they would have known those numbers. Right, and I, I, you can't compare it to anything beyond that because I'm sure no one was keeping stats on that, you know. And like I said, they they keep talking about how hard it is to find. Man, it's so weird saying '80s male version in Los Angeles over and over again. Guess <laughs> that just such a that's awkward phrase. I know, but again, they they kept harping on the fact of how difficult it was to complete this particular task. Yet the only way they target Jim Carrey is because they see three young, wide-eyed, innocent men, boys, I'm not sure, driving around Hollywood at night in an ice cream truck. Like Obviously, it, obviously they're virgins. Right. Yeah. Like, if that, that's, it took them, like, like, her whole, I guess I want to say vampire scouting team, like, 30 seconds to just zero in on the ice cream truck. Like, is it really... Is it really that difficult? No, right. They, they <laughs> exactly. Uh, they had been scouting uh, virgins for hundreds of years, and they had never seen such an obvious case as as, as the ice cream truck. By the way, by how great, Sal? How great was that scene where Jim Carrey and his two buddies are prowling Hollywood? Right. I think it's downtown Hollywood um, for uh, on 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 like a weekend night. In their ice cream truck, and there's a there's a part, an extended part where you see, you know, a, a shapely young woman walking a lion in in downtown Hollywood using using Sal a diamond leash. I wanted to mention this scene. Uh, I had like a fun fact section prepared for later on, but the oh, sorry no it, no it's it's okay we talk about it now. But yeah, you mentioned there's a woman. Walking down, I'm not sure who. What's like a famous street in Los Angeles, like, like Rodeo like Drive, yeah, Rodeo Drive or something like that. In the middle of the night, walking her pet lion. It you only see her for like maybe five or ten seconds, but I swear that the actress who was walking that lion was the same actress that played Brad Wesley's girlfriend in Roadhouse. Oh, go back I... and freeze frame that for ten seconds and just try and talk me out of it. I think you're onto something, oh, and and of course, of course, you would spot that as the number one Roadhouse <laughs> fan in, in in the world. Yeah, uh, I was reading um, this art. I think it was on Mental Floss, like eight facts about Once Bitten. That's where I found out Michael J. Fox was the first choice. But in that particular scene, um, they wanted to do like an '80s montage because apparently every 80s film had like some sort of a montage of LA and that particular part in the scene where she's walking the line wasn't even in the script. They're just like, what's something that would happen that would make you realize that this is happening in Los Angeles? Like, Oh yeah, well let's just have like this attractive uh, lady walking down the street uh, with her pet lion. That's funny. I, I, I was wondering how that happened because it's so bizarre um, also, incredibly dangerous. I mean, the police would have had to be there to put down the line immediately, right? I would, I would assume so. It's you not can't like, get a lion walking around. It's not like she's Mike Tyson lion tamer. Like, who knows what she, where she even got this line from? 
what, what is she? What is her? What is she and and, and her um her diamond leash gonna do if that lion decides that he wants to go eat somebody? She's not gonna do anything. That that's probably like a whole other movie. They could have made a once bitten sequel. <laughs> based on the lion? Just, no, just based on this woman walking a lion down the street. Oh my god! Oh, it's 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 like. I thought I thought that I was like hallucinating the first time I saw it, and I was like, "Wait, what? I'm sorry, what?" And oh, and of course that scene also includes when they're going in downtown Hollywood. It also includes uh, an inexplicable photo shoot in the middle of the night, <laughs> um, where there's a woman in a bathing suit on on top of a sports car, and of course she has a a, a beach ball. You know, beach balls being huge in the '80s. Everybody had a beach ball in the '80s. And the beach ball gets knocked over to Jim Carrey, of course. It's all just really like um, it's like it's like eighties like distilled. You know what I mean? And, and another great part of that scene is at the beginning of it, they're driving around in their ice cream truck, and then they drive beside a car full of um, women who are kind of into them. Like mm-hmm. you see these like three high schoolers in ice cream truck. They're like, yeah, we gotta like party with those guys. So then they start following the women in the car, and they get to the hotel, and the valet's like, I'm not gonna park your stupid ice cream truck. Like just get the <laughs> hell out of here. And the the best part of that scene is the valet was played by the guy who played Al in Quantum, Quantum Leap. No way! Yeah. Like, just a brief second, the you know, good old Dean Stockwell. I didn't know that. Good call. All right, so, um, all right, so we've talked about the beginning. We've kind of talked about the middle. Um, like we said, we know the, the Countess has... She successfully gets Jim Carrey's blood once, and so she, that means she has to do it two more times. Um, they she gets it the second time. I can't remember how she does it the second time. Right off the top of my head, do you remember that? It was in the uh, the dressing room. There's a dressing oh, room right. where he right where she where, where his girlfriend works. Right where his girlfriend works, and she shows up in the dressing room. And again, folks, listen, listen. She takes the blood uh, from the artery in his thigh, and this is not um, a euphemism. <laughs> um. She actually like there actually is he 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 thinks Jim Carrey's character thinks that he is having sex with this vampire, but he's not because he basically he kind of just like passes out after it happens and has no recollection of what what happened yeah. to him. But she's she's just um, taking blood from that art whatever the artery is called in your in your upper inner thigh, and um, she does it, she does that twice. Um, and then do you want to get into the third time or? Yeah, because, so, like I said, if this vampire lady, the countess, doesn't get Jim Carrey's butt three times, she's going to turn into an old lady. And, like, mm-hmm. that's going to be the worst thing in the world yeah. <laughs> for her. And so, and at this point, Jim Carrey's girlfriend has also taken her back. I've taken him back, sorry. And it leads to this scene in the, again, high school, where it it's a ha- Halloween party. And to me, it just basically it turns into like a vampire version of Flashdance. And oh. I think this might also play back into like 50s morality because if for anyone that's seen Flashdance remembers what the the premise of that film is. And it turns into this dance-off where the Countess is trying to seduce Jim Carrey. 
and like he's being seduced by her, but then the girlfriend is trying to like basically end the seduction by winning him back in like this crazy dance off mm-hmm. <laughs> near the end of the film, which was really an uh, an interesting way to <laughs> try and find a way for the countess to get Jim Carrey's blood. Yeah, yeah, it was, and the, the dance off is uh, um, there's a lot of Jim Carrey going on. You know, like like his insane bodily movements that he does. Uh, so it, it's a it's a kind of a crazy. It, the scene lasts forever. By yes. the way, yes. The scene goes on and on and on and on to the point where you're like, is this going to be the rest of the movie, or is there is there anything beyond this? And like, as we like we've established the the fact that Jim Carrey's girlfriend never wanted to have sex with him before. Never. Like she wasn't ready. She wanted it to be the right moment. And then during this dance-off, like, the vampire lady, she was pretty close to getting, uh, you know, Jim Carrey to just follow her so that she can take his blood for the third time and turn him into a vampire. And then at one point, Jim Carrey's girlfriend, whose name is Robin, uh, she says to Jim Carrey to, like, snap him out of his days. I'm the owner of the pants you've been trying to get into for the past four years. Oh my god! Yeah. Again, it, there was four people with writing credits on this movie. Yeah, in, in, incredible writing. I mean, there are lots of uh, lines in the movie uh, with direct, uh, not even implications, but just saying that um, you know the, the women in the movie are things uh, to be owned. Uh, e- even even with the Countess vampire character, who we would you would think would be like a strong female character. Even with that, this movie is, uh, you know, like deeply, deeply misogynistic, which again, is not, is not out of, you know, out of, uh, the norm for, for, 80s, for, for 80s movies, you know, for the, for the, yeah. I mean, every go watch your favorite 80s comedy right now and try not to cringe, honestly, at the, um, you know, uh, anti-gay sen- sentiment, the misogyny, the transphobia, and this movie has that all in spades. Yeah, like there, there was a, a scene. It was a shower scene where Jim Carrey's girlfriend had asked Jim Carrey's two best friends to see if there was like two puncture wounds on his upper thigh that would indi- like indicate that he had been bitten by a vampire because she went to go see, was it a, I don't know if it was like a vampire expert or just a librarian who just knew a lot of stuff about vampires <laughs> that explained, explained to her like how vampires work. Yeah. yeah it, it was, it was unclear how this guy knew everything about vampires. And so he's like, well, one way you can tell is if there's two puncture wounds near, like, on on this specific part of his body, and that's where she would drain the blood from. So then Jim Carrey's girlfriend asked Jim Carrey's two best friends to uh, look at him in the shower to Mm -hmm. see if that was such a thing that had happened to him. Mm -hmm. And this was one of the hardest scenes I've I almost turned the movie off after this happened because it was like one of the most homophobic mm-hmm. sh- homophobic scenes I've seen in a while. They use the you know the f word slur a bunch of times in that scene. Uh, they made a lot of like uh, gay jokes. Even the scene in the diner afterwards was hard to watch when they like the two guys thought maybe that they were gay and they were, thought their whole lives were going to be ruined. 
Yeah, this was uh, right. This is the the scene that's um, for any modern audience, I think, would be would be stunning. Even even people who remember, you know, these the movies from this era, I think that if you watch this scene, you would think, oh, dear God, like this is this is so transparently uh, homophobic. Uh, yeah, like you said, they use. They use the slur over and over as a joke. By the way, like it's it's actually so it's written. It's, and correct me if I'm if you think I'm wrong, Sal, but it's written to be very funny. Yeah, no, that that definitely was their intention. Because I think yeah. back back then it was okay to make those kinds of jokes. Like no one was worried about and, who were they they were offending or who no. what like if there'd be like backlash. Because like I said, there's a lot of '80s movies that just have these types of jokes just rampantly through them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the kids, the the teenagers who are accused of of being gay with Jim Carrey in this in the shower scene, they they then say like very directly in the in the minutes after that scene, they say very they say this is the worst thing that could happen to us because the worst thing that can happen to anybody is for people to know you're gay, and and that uh, I'm just, I, obviously there's there was truth to in in that embedded in that sentiment uh, in this in this era, um, but it's like it's like terif- it's like terrible and heartbreaking all all at once when you're wa- when you're watching this today um, that people would watch that and and think it was funny and probably honestly Sal people were probably doubled over with laughter watching that like. Like I, I've made plenty of offensive remarks over the years, especially in my younger days. So yeah, and I can look back on that and be like, oh yeah, I'm, I was an idiot for doing that. And I always wonder, like the people who make these movies, be it the writer, the director, the actors, the producers, if they look back, on, like say if Jim Carrey were to watch that scene today, like what would his thoughts be? I was wondering the same thing, and I bet you Jim Carrey, uh, just from interviews I've seen him do, I bet you he would. Um... I don't want to condemn it, but something close to it. So, yeah, I think, yeah, that was definitely, um, that that was the point where I almost turned the movie on, but I had to finish watching it for this podcast. Yeah, you, you had to, you had to commit to getting a look at, and listen, I apologize, um, you know, for honestly, if I had to remember that scene and, and it says something about the past, you know, I saw it 12 years ago, 10 or 12 years ago. Um, and that scene obviously would have struck me as bad back then, but not, not to the, not the way that I watch it now, which is utter horror, you know? Uh, and, and so I think, I, and I think it's a good sign. I think it's, I actually think it's a kind of a, a sign of a progress that, that we, we see that differently, or at least I can say personally, I see that scene differently today than I did when I was in my early twenties. In the, uh, the film industry, they call it character growth. <laughs> my character is growing maybe i don't know so i think um so again eventually uh robin jim Cur- jim carrey's girlfriend realizes that he is being pursued by a vampire he tries to figure out how to stop it they have this dance off at high school um <clears throat> and then all of a sudden you see you see Robin being taken off in a limo. Like she's basically kidnapped. Jim Carrey and his friends follow the limo. They found out that she is tied up in like the Countess's mansion. 
she's like, oh, they're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, they told me that you were in trouble. So I just went with the again, <laughs> 80s movie logic. So now they're all stuck in this mansion where the Countess and her team want to get Jim Carrey. And then Jim Carrey and his team want to escape the place. And I think we can go right to the, like, the actual ending of the film, which, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, I was trying to figure out how this movie was going to end. Which I think a lot of people, they read a book or they watch a movie, they kind of want to figure out, oh, how's this going to end? I want to know. Mm-hmm. They tried, They like to play the guessing game. Mm-hmm. And of all the um, scenarios I'd come up in my head, I did not come up with the most logical way that this movie would end. Which is, of course... Which was, of course, Jim Carrey and his girlfriend having sex before the Countess could drain his blood for the third time, which means that he was no longer a virgin. I should say having sex in a coffin. Yes, nonetheless. Yeah. So the the girlfriend had been waiting the whole movie for just the right moment, and she decided that the coffin was the right moment. Which is pretty amazing. But but she also did save save her, save his, I think, yeah. you know, save her boyfriend. I think I think that's probably the deciding factor in her giving up her virginity. But like again, that that was the most obvious route that this film could have taken to get to its conclusion. And not once did I think that that was gonna happen. I yeah, I wasn't really thinking in that in that direction. And um by the way, her her personality, the the girlfriend who again embodied the image of the perfect nineteen fifties uh, girlfriend, and, you know uh, the um, I, I don't know the the perfect girl from the movie Grease, say <laughs> it's, it's Sandy Sandy and Grease before before she um, dresses in all leather, um, and and after she has sex with Jim Carrey in the coffin and it lasts in the movie, it lasts exactly one minute, which the countess um, actually points out <laughs> and, and Jim Carrey pops up smoking a cigarette, of course. Um, it, uh, after that, she turns completely different. Her, her character changes, uh, does a one eighty, right? Yeah. So um, it was definitely, um, one way to completely alter her character in that film because the whole time she's like, well, I just want to wait for the right moment. This is not it. And then all of a sudden she has sex for the first time in a coffin and like she yeah. has this like, no, she's like, oh, one, well, one, we defeated the evil vampire. But two is like, well, yeah, I'm glad that happened. Um, now we can be a couple again because even though you thought you would either cheat on me or the vampire, I still wanted to be with you. Right. And, but and this, this is the, and this is like, it's back to that like Madonna whore uh, complex where uh, a woman can be one of two things. You know, she can be the, the, the perfect virgin, virgin or the whore. And there is no, there is no in between uh, for, for a woman. And by the end, the girlfriend transforms from the Madonna to the whore and she's embraced, you know, she's embraced that, that, that transformation. And, and this is again, like extremely typical in, in this era of movies where a woman plays one of two roles and there's just not an in between for, for, for women. Of course, for men, there's, there's a million shades of in between. Yeah, and it was like a literal happy ending for Jim Carrey. He's smoking not one but two cigarettes, and he has this huge ass like happy grin on his like hold that only Jim Carrey can make. 
He well, he actually says because she she then coaxes him back into the the coffin, right? And and he says the last line of the movie is, "I think I've created a monster." And so he's turned his perfect girlfriend, quote quote unquote perfect girlfriend, into a monster by having by having sex with her. And and uh, like the, it, just, it just speaks volumes, you know, about about the way uh, women and men were portrayed at this time. Yeah, it was, um, and, and that's the movie, folks. That is, that is the end of. <laughs> I wish there was more, but. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. <laughs> don't. I'm not going to go that far. Well, where where is the sequel, Sal? Is my question. Well, now with um, the craze and reboots, I could see this being remade again. With the what? With the like the craze of reboots being a thing uh, these days. Oh dear! Oh my God, dude, that would be on I. Oh, you know what? You know what? Though, how they would make it really like dark and serious. Well, if for people that really, really love this movie, they could go and just watch HBO's True Blood. Oh, good call. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You're not. You're not wrong. Uh, did you have any other um, takes that you wanted to get off? For yeah. Once bitten. Let me. Yeah. So I took some notes. My notes <laughs> are kind of a mess. Uh, oh, uh, Jim Jim Carrey's uh, virgin male friend uh, said has a sweatshirt on it at one point in the in the in the school. I know, I know where you're going with this one. It, and the sweatshirt says the following: Are you ready for this? Oh, I, 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 I I wasn't ready. It says freelance gynecologist, which of course he's implying in a joking manner that he will sexually harass or molest somebody, you know, for free. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it is just, just the, like the height of misogyny. It is just mind boggling how problematic <laughs> this dumb movie is. Like people can't see me right now, but I'm doing the shaking my head emoji in real life. <laughs> yeah, no, Sal, I can I, I can sense that Sal has turned into that emoji. He's just he's just the SMH emoji right now. Um, there was also one more thing that I wanted to mention. Um, there's a cafeteria worker, uh, like a, a cook, who serves Jim Carrey because Jim Carrey's turning into a vampire, but he doesn't know it. Okay, and. It's just like Michael J. Fox was turning into a, a werewolf in Teen Wolf, but he didn't really know it. And <clears throat> so, so Jim Carrey's turning into a vampire, and he suddenly really likes, you know, blood and like, like raw meats apparently. And he asks for an uncooked uh, hamburger at the cafeteria, and the cafeteria worker gives him that <laughs> uncooked burger. This is. This is a very bad thing. This worker could be sued for poisoning a student. <laughs> that that really got me. But but in her defense, that's one less hamburger she has to throw out at the end of the day. That's 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 true. That's true. But I I just kept thinking you you're not gonna give it to you're not oh you're gonna give it to him okay 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 I see. Um, I have two things I wanted to bring up that we didn't get to. One, this goes back again to just. Like how bad the Countess's team was at finding a male virgin in the 1980s, is that at one point one of the both of Jim Carrey's friends are like on the prowl trying to find a date for the evening, 
and one of the one of them turns to the other guy and asks, like, "Do you have protection?" And he pulls out a rubber glove. Oh, oh my god! Um, so yeah, I guess it really is that hard to find versions in LA. Yeah, and he, he said, and, and and so he says, "I didn't know what size I needed." <laughs> like that was just sexual education at that point in life. But you know what? You know what? That might that might be like reflective of the utter lack of of legitimate sex ed that that teenagers were getting. Uh, yeah. Um, so there there is one thing from this movie that honestly made me laugh a <laughs> lot when it, when it happened, and it was Sebastian, um, the Countess's personal assistant. The way he pronounced chicken McNuggets. I'm not sure if you remember this part in the movie, Denny. But you had the you have this overly flamboyant male character and he says chicken Mac Nuggets. Oh, I man, thought that would have been the funniest part of the movie. Oh Mac he actually says Arby's at one point. Yes. He he he, he name checks Arby's, which is which is pretty great. So yeah, this movie was definitely targeted to you. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess I guess so. I I um yeah, I mean, if you if you're looking for like the epitome of um of like 80s culture like reaching back to the 50s like desperately wanting like a you know, a simpler like more conformist time. Of course, that goes along with like a more like homophobic, racist, misogynist time. I mean, that all, that goes, that all goes hand in hand. Uh, then I think Once Bitten uh, shows you a lot in that regard. Uh, um, so before we wrap this podcast up, I want to play a quick game. So I was researching this movie, and one of the things I always do for this podcast is I go to Rotten Tomatoes to see what the scores are. Uh, this particular film was Rotten Tomatoes 18%. I think that's 18% too high. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, well, to be fair, I would maybe give it like four or five percent. There were some some enjoyable aspects to this film, but overall, no, this was this was not a movie. I I don't think I would watch this movie again. Uh, so I'm going to read off uh, three critics' reviews from Rotten Tomatoes, and you tell me which one describes you the most. So are you ready okay. for this? I'm ready. All right. So we got. That 80s guilty pleasure I go back to again and again for a good chuckle. No, no. Uh, call me crazy, but I liked it. <laughs> I don't think so. And the final one, equally, equally, equally wrong and disturbing. Is that how you say that word? Equally? Equally. Yeah, I guess so. Ickly, yeah, I mean, that, Ickly, that's yeah. more in line. Equally wrong and disturbing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think that that <laughs> describes the movie to a T. Yeah. I, it, it's um. It doesn't mean to be disturbing. Uh, it just means to be a dumb comedy. But it's it's bad. Um. So I think that probably pretty much uh, wraps it up for this episode of Takeoff. Uh, what do you think? That's right. Yes, I think it does. And we will be back in October with a movie that we have not yet decided on, but we were going to make this a monthly thing. And we have, we, you know why? Because we always have takes. At least I do. I mean, this, this podcast would have been an August podcast, except for the fact that I was hospitalized for nine days, which kind of had to put things on hold for a bit, but hopefully that doesn't happen again to me this month. So we can go right. back to our, our monthly schedule. 
and that and that's that's what actually uh, uh Sal was hospitalized after watching this movie. <laughs> yeah. I um was hospitalized with um you know take with bad takes. <laughs> Thankfully I I uh I have not yet been hospitalized with that, but I, I believe that's coming. Yeah. Alright, so for everybody um who listened to our first podcast will know that they can find this on our Podbean page. We're also on Apple Podcasts. I also post it on my blog, um the aging cooler dot Home? It's been so long since I went to my own website, I can't even remember the URL. Let me come on, Sal. Check that out. Yeah, the agingcooler.home.blog. That's what I was confused about. Uh, Where Denny also writes articles. I wrote one article. I might write a second one again, honestly. Who knows? We'll see how it goes. Um, You can find Denny on Twitter at uh, CDCarter13. You can find me on Twitter at uh, 2QBFFB for now. I'm about ready to change my Twitter handle to uh, Gardner Minshew fan number one. We'll see how long that'll take me to do. But other than that, uh, thank you for you no know, listening to us. Um, you no, know, get all our takes off. <laughs> <laughs>